right, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Sorry for the, the quiet transition, but you know, we're short a few people today. But um, I just want to go over some announcements really quick because um, we'd like this to be a fast process because we like to get everything that we can from the Ferris family. Um, <laughs> so um, I just wanted to um, just remind everyone, you know, Pastor Chris and Raquel are currently traveling. So if y'all could just kind of keep them in your prayers, uh, maybe send a text, just remind them how much you love them, how much you missed them today. That'd be awesome. Um, the next thing I want to go over is next weekend, Dub Alexander will be here from March 12th to the 14th. So that is three days of dub. Y'all are going to be really excited, and your mind's going to be blown. Um, so the next thing I wanted to go over really quick, our uh, amazing HCA team. Um, <laughs> they are partnering up with Elijah Rising and a few different ministries. Um, they're going to go out to Bissonette. Um, and because there are children here, I'm going to be very PG, but um, they're going to be going out there and just ministering to the women that are there. Um, in order to kind of just show God's love and, and what's on their heart, we're actually going to be um, making, we're going to take some cosmetic bags with um, words that we just fill, some prophetic words for them. Um, but in those cosmetic bags, we wanted to um, kind of make like a little goodie bag for them. Um, so we're going to actually put chapstick, hand lotion, small perfumes, Hershey Kisses, handwritten notes of encouragement, tie-dye hair ties, um, or just some type of hair tie or hair accessory, um, and small art pieces or crafts um, that anyone, if God feels to put this, or sorry, if God puts on your heart and feels that um, he'd like you to share something with someone, we'd like you to maybe paint it or draw it on a note card. Um, but if you would get with Zoe, she has several of those. Um, but if you guys feel like you want to donate anything towards that, either items or uh, monetary. Um, you can see, Zoe, there is a sign-up sheet out here by the door. So we would love to have you guys um, you know, help with that. Um, in order to get all of this ready for the 19th, though, we are going to have a packing party on the 14th. So um, Dub will be here that morning, but around 2 o'clock. So that gives you enough time to have service, go out, have lunch, come back. Um, we will have a packing party that starts at 2, so we can get all those bags ready, because there is going to be 100 bags that we need to make. Um, so yes, it is a lot, but we are really excited. Um, and we've been to Bissonette Street once before. It was an amazing time, and um, I really just feel like there was a lot. Um, I don't even know how to word it. There was just, it was so much. It was so good. Um, so yes, if you guys have any questions about that, please feel free to see Zoe um, or even Rebecca if you need to. You know the HCA team, guys. So um, also, um, I think that is actually it for our announcements. I wanted you guys to uh, maybe stand up and give a round of applause to the Ferris family for coming all the way from like Austin area. <laughs> Um, so Craig and Shannon and their amazing family are just a powerful team. Um, so I just want you guys, sorry, I'm being waved. I apparently forgot to release the kids. So if I, if I could have all the kids stand up first, 
Uh, if y'all just want to, you know, reach your hand out to one of the kids near you, all of them, they all need some Jesus in their life. Thank you. Um, so God, we just thank you for these amazing kids. There is no such thing as junior Holy Spirit. So just open their ears, their hearts, their minds to you today and just minister to them. However you see fit, God, you know their hearts and you will move through them. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can go with Miss Lydia all the way to the back. Yeah, I know. I know. You're going to, oh, she wants to come up here. <laughs> um, so guys, we, like I said, we have the amazing Pharisees here with us today. Um, Craig and Shannon, their ministry, uh, Legacy Dreamers. If you guys want to find out more about that, you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram, correct? Um, but they're just amazing, powerful family. So feel free to uh, take everything that he says. Um, lots of notes. And um, yeah, just if you guys would welcome him up. <laughs> Well, good morning. Oh, my friend made it. Way to go, Ryan. So, usually I tell people who I am, but most of you guys know who I am. Um, and most of you remember the most important thing, I have 12 kids. <laughs> for, for some reason, that seems to be a very important fact about my life. I never knew that was going to be so important, um, but when you start being identified by, hey, you're the guy with 12 kids, you, you better make sure that you uh, key in on that and know it's very important. Um, man, so I know Chris and Raquel aren't here, but thank you, Chris and Raquel, because there's a camera pointed, so hopefully they get to see that <laughs> and know. Um, you know, it is an honor for us to be here. Like, I know people say that, but I want you to hear my heart and hear me say, it really is an honor to be here. Um, this is a very special house to us. Every time we come, we feel like we're part of a family. So, Sarah, thank you. Marilyn, thank you. Chris and Raquel, thank you. I better stop before I'll just keep going all the way around. <clears throat> but thank you, guys. Um, you know, as we were worshiping, it reminded me in my early days, all I asked all the time, every time I was scheduled to speak somewhere is, God, let's just worship the whole time. I'd rather not speak and worship than, you know, why, why do they need to hear me when they can hear you? And so we had a moment there where I thought, well, maybe we should do that. <laughs> maybe we should just um, but I remembered I came here for a reason. <laughs> and I don't know how Chris and Raquel would have felt about that one. <laughs> yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you, being a guy that's been in church my whole life, I've seen some incredible things. I, I've, watched, I've watched people take the platform. And in that moment, what they wanted was to engage with the Heavenly Father so badly that they just stopped and turned and just engaged until the point everybody caught the message and then joined them. 
whether it be just their own song, whether it be just in a moment of praise. There's something about us learning how to engage with God on our own. So I, what I want to, I'm going to take a left-hand turn from what I was going to do and just talk for a couple of minutes about, and, and please, we're not, we're not going to bash ourselves, but I, I want to think about, I want to pose a question to you. Why did we come today? It's important that we recognize that there's a reason that we show up on a Sunday. What is that reason? Now, I'm not going to give you a right or wrong answer. I'm, there's not like a hidden place. This isn't like, hey, you scream out, hey, I came to hear the word. Hey, I came to worship. Hey, I came to see my friends. I'm not telling you what the right answer is. What I am is I'm trying to pose the question to say, did we come intentionally? Because if we came intentionally with a purpose, on purpose, then we're going to engage in the area that we came for. It's where our eyes and ears begin to open to recognize the voice of God. So one of the things that happens is if, if I came to hear the word, a lot of times I am disengaged as we worship because it's something, it's an, it becomes an obstacle to get me to the word. The same thing is if I came to worship, now I have to endure the speaker <clears throat> they've actually stopped my purpose of being here. And every time you'll walk away almost dissatisfied because they could have gone longer. We could have stayed there. And so it's important that we begin to recognize what is our intention, our expectation, what's our inward motivation. Um, and it's important for, for two things. One is so we don't think of worship as an obstacle that you're not upset that I'm up here talking right now. Um, but it's also important. It's, it's important so we begin to understand not to go on autopilot. This is, this is a, supposed to be the house of the Lord. That's what they've said since I was growing up. Now, we all know as we've grown up that we're the house of the Lord that where we go, where we are, that's where he is. But we do specifically come here to engage. We come here to whatever you decide you came here to do. What I, what I would like to propose is that there is a changing face of the church. And by the church, I don't mean just your faces. I mean what actually happens within the confines of the house of the Lord. And so we have to be intentional so that we can actually engage with the change as well. What happens is we either misunderstand our intention. And so when we show up and it begins to change, we don't like it because it's not what I wanted. But I never said what I wanted and I never really actually understood intentionally what I came for. So we have to begin to recognize what we need, why we've engaged, and then what is coming. You know, most of the time when the disciples came and hung out with Jesus, he was telling them about what was coming. 
not just what was presented to them. Hey, this is what's coming. So I would imagine if I were to, to look at the shifting changes of what should be happening in the, the four walls, I would begin to imagine a place where there is a house of worship that says what has been done. That we're coming together recognizing that we were sent out. So when we come together, it's talking about the expansion of the kingdom. It's giving the testimonies of the victories that we saw coming into the Sunday. Now, I don't know what everyone's going to do with that or where they're going to go with that. But if we don't know what we are doing, then we'll never know what we have to do. So that wasn't even where I was going to go. But So if you take something away today, just remember, what am, what am I here for? Why am I here? And begin to figure that out. Um, nine times out of ten, what we're looking for inside these walls is actually what we should be doing at home. I mean, that's, that's just honest. We come here looking for them to give me what I couldn't do all week long. So, that's free. <laughs> <clears throat> so, as some of you guys have heard before, uh, I have a background in security. Um, running around all the time, pointing guns at people. <laughs> I got you. I always, I always thought, I, you know, who needs a cop? I'm here. <laughs> we needed cops, trust me. <laughs> that was a bad motto, I got to tell you. <laughs> Somebody dial 911. <laughs> um, but with that, I, I had tons of incredible experiences, good and bad. Uh, but I got to see some incredible things. One of my jobs uh, was for Boeing, which I was in Mesa, Arizona. It's the only place in the world they build the Apache helicopter. Incredible. I mean, if you've ever seen one of those things, wow. Well, as you can imagine, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Kind of got to pay attention a little bit. Um, so I'll tell you one night, we were doing our regular patrols. I worked the night shift. Um, I actually was the supervisor of the night shift. We had uh, four of us on the night shift. We covered about, if I remember right, I want to say it was somewhere around 15 acres of property. There was a lot of buildings on it. It was pretty, I mean, amazing facility. So we're doing our patrols, and I'm in base, which is basically just a place with a bunch of cameras. <clears throat> it's where you sat and were lazy. And, <laughs> look, look, the cows are moving again. <clears throat> so all of a sudden we have alarms going off. Now this is a bad thing. As you can imagine, with it being the only place in the world, it is, you know, it's a place that, that bad people want to blow up. And uh, so if alarms are going off, we have a problem. Especially at night, we have a skeleton crew. They should be nowhere in the area our alarm's going off. So I, I take over what we called the console, running everybody where they were supposed to be so that I could get the guy that was in there out there to start chasing whatever was taking place. 
So I had one guy headed there. I had another guy just kicked out and I was calling another guy back to the console who was on foot so that those two guys could drive for it. And that guy could come back, take over, and then I would go. Guy gets back, gets in the console. He's going, hey, we've got alarm here. We got alarm here. We had three zones that were going off, which is really, really bad. So I'm telling everybody to do, you know, I'm giving instructions over the radio, do this, do this, do this, call this person, begin moving all the steps. I jump in a car and I take off. As we're doing this, the guy that has taken over my spot in the console now calls out, I've got someone inside the wire. Crap. So this means somebody's probably going to die tonight. This is not good. So we just went into a whole nother level. He said, I got him running and he's in, the, in a highly contained area, which uh, there's bad stuff there. This is a top secret facility. There's all kinds of things on the property. There's certain areas you do not want somebody in. That person is trying to figure a way into that area. So the first vehicle goes and it's, we got this massive building. He comes around this side. This guy's coming up on this side. So I'm sliding my vehicle, driving way too fast, um, pulling the e-brake and sliding in and jumping out and pulling my gun, running for the front door. And as I'm running, they start yelling over the radio, he's by you, he's by you, he's behind you. And I'm going, how did he get past the first guy, much less the second guy, and now I have a guy who's behind me. So I'm turning to run towards him, it's pitch black, and I'm running back towards my car looking for this guy. As I'm about, probably from me to the back wall, with a gun pointed towards my car looking, I turn left to look through the field and look back up and the guy's in my car. I just lost my vehicle. We have a problem. Now, not only does this guy inside the wire, he has my car. He takes off. So, the other two guys, I'm yelling, get in your vehicles, chase them down. What do I do? I'm on foot. Um, I'm not as fast as I used to be. <clears throat> so the guy in the console is calling out where he's turning, where he's going, and he's headed for the flight line, which is where the Apaches are actually sitting, where they take off and land. So I'm running as fast as I can, knowing that if I can get to the flight line, we're talking about, I don't know, a 15-foot fence with razor wire on the top, and I'm going to have to get over that because I can't go the other way because I'll never get there in time. And I'm going, this is a really bad night. <laughs> How did I end up here? And what comes next? So they start yelling where he went. They're chasing him. We got trucks driving way too fast. Um, it's a five mile an hour. I mean, this is not supposed to be, you know, we're not supposed to be doing high speed chases. <laughs> And if you guys ever see that, this didn't really happen. I'm just making this up as we go. <clears throat> just in case anybody still works there. <laughs> so all of a sudden, the, the console yells out, he stopped, he stopped, he's getting out. And so I'm yelling over the radio, do not shoot, do not shoot, because I didn't know. Once your adrenaline starts pumping, you, you get a little kind of crazy. You lock in on something and... So I just wanted to make sure they heard those words so that if those guys saw him first, nobody shot him. 
because we didn't know. We, we know he's inside the wire, but if he needs to get beaten, we can beat him, but we don't shoot him first. So I get there, and it turns out this chump is my trainer. He works with us. He had decided to see uh, how good we were uh, on the night shift <clears throat> and stole my car. So, needless to say, instead of it looking like the coolest chase in the whole entire world, we turned out to be the Three Stooges chasing our boss around a plant, <laughs> breaking every rule known to man. <clears throat> so, <laughs> needless to say, I had some explaining to do. <laughs> Why were you out of your vehicle? Why was it left running? Uh, got out because you were out. It was running because um, it's a push start car. <laughs> I didn't think anybody would steal a Prius. I mean, where are you gonna like what? It was hard enough for me to get in and out of it. I didn't. Who else wants to try to fight their way in and then try and run away from me? <clears throat> Boy, was my face red. <laughs> One of the things. That's absolutely amazing about that was our perspective. Alarms started going off and we had trained ourselves that when the alarms went off, someone had gotten in. We had to think that way. We had to be prepared for that. The problem was, because we had trained ourselves to think that way, we never considered any other option. Didn't, didn't think it could be anything else. So the moment that it was, we treated it incorrectly. We treated it as if somebody had been inside. Our console operator, although he didn't dress in uniform, he was disguised very well, uh, didn't have a chance to identify him. And then when he had knowledge of how to drive around our complex, nobody recognized that. Nobody picked up on the fact that he didn't go off-road he didn't get lost from where we were headed back to the main part of the plant. We never considered for a moment that he was one of us. It was always, he's got to go down. And the, the unique thing about perspective is when we look at something, we make a judgment. We begin to say, this is something based on all of my life experience, all of my training, everything I know to do. One of the reasons the Pharisees and Sadducees missed Jesus was their perspective. We're pretty hard on those guys. Now, I mean, you know, after a while they should have picked up on it. <clears throat> you know, he did get out of the car and show himself. But at the same time, they had trained to look for a specific person that would, that would come. They would achieve specific goals. Their perspective on how he would achieve those goals was incorrect. So why would that matter to us? Well, one of the things is, just, just take for instance, like me standing right here. So I can look out and I see, you know, 
four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen people. That's my perspective. I'm only looking here. I didn't count a whole half of the room. Because I, I've intentionally moved onto this side and I'm looking this way. I got a number. This is how many people are in the room. But if I turn, oh, I got 12 kids. I forgot they're in the room. <laughs> we just doubled. <clears throat> but my, pers my perspective would dictate how I begin to engage. So one of the things is, is even, if I, even if I come down, now it's going to be harder to begin to engage with every person depending on who's in the room, if there's any kids. Because like right now, I can't see one of my kids that's sitting on a lap. I know she's there because I saw her a minute ago. But, oh, see a little kid in the back. Just saw a head pop up. <laughs> see, because I moved here, my perspective's completely different. So why, why is this really important? Well, Jesus said, John 5, verse 19, I do what I see my father doing. His perspective was to move in such a way that he saw what his dad was doing, and then he did that. So when we come into a room like this, sometimes what we do is we see who's speaking, and we try to move like they're moving. But do we have the correct perspective of who they are and where they're actually going? See, Paul, Paul was clear, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. He made it real simple. If you follow me, everything will be all right. Um, let me make this clear. I'm not asking for anybody to follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, I'm saying, hey, I have a sign that says Jesus is here. Uh, see me and then run right to him. I haven't learned that whole Paul thing yet. <laughs> it's a goal. It's a standard. Paul said, if, if you follow me, as I follow Christ, we'll be okay. He said, this is the standard. Because Jesus said the same thing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I should be able to, in turn, say the same thing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because I'm the, I'm the house of the Lord. I'm actually full of, overflowing with, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we, we need to recognize that our perspective then dictates what people see. So if I don't think that, if I don't think I'm the house of the Lord, and I don't recognize it, that that is my standard is if you follow me, as I follow Christ, we'll be okay, then what we do is we spend time begging and pleading to a God who's far away. And we're hoping that the next move of God will come some point because his presence is going to come. Not that his presence is here and people need to be awakened to it. That when I showed up, that his presence became manifest and now they can engage with it. So our perspective determines where we end up. Does that make sense? Okay, so. Man, these are cool. I haven't seen one of these in a long time. They, they got rid of them a long time ago. <clears throat> in, a, in a lot of the circles that I was traveling, they got rid of these things. I spent all my formative years, you know, crying on one or sleeping underneath it or even laying on it. 
Um, man, you know what? I'll tell you a story about one of these one time. I saw in, in the little church I grew up in, uh, this guy wanted to quit smoking. And so they brought him up and they set him down just like this. And he was facing the audience. And uh, he said, I want, I want to quit smoking. And they said, really? He's like, I, I really do this time. I, I, I can't. He tried and failed and tried and failed. So they said, great. So give me your cigarettes. Ooh, moment of truth. <laughs> <laughs> so he pulls them out. And it was awesome because <laughs> uh, the woman that was about to pray for him, the, the pastor's wife, uh, she looks at him and goes, hey, the, the other one too. And he goes, oh, yeah. Like, I don't think he purposely kept them hidden. Like, he didn't think about it. He reached in where he always goes, didn't think about the fact he had another one, but she knew he had another one. So he reaches in, hands it out. She goes, okay, so this is what we're going to do. She goes, stick out your tongue. And she gets some oil on her finger and puts oil on, on his tongue. That guy never smoked again. That one encounter. So I always, I always get excited when I see these things. <clears throat> I mean, can you get, imagine that perspective that she stepped into a place and knew if you will engage and say, yes, this will never bother you or haunt you again. She had a perspective that you're about to have an encounter that will change your life, that will change your family's life. Because he had kids and they didn't want him to smoke anymore. They're always praying. Pray for my daddy. He smokes. So one, one moment with the correct perspective brings an encounter that changes everything. We'll, we'll stay on this perspective thing for a minute. Just think about it when they were in the garden. Jesus says, hey, come with me. We're going to go pray. And those guys are lights out. Why? They didn't know. They didn't recognize that they were stepping into the last moments they were going to have with him. They had no clue. They didn't recognize it and see. They didn't hear what he was telling them. Even though he told them, pay attention. It's coming. It's coming. They got tired of waiting for it to come. They fell asleep in the moment when it was their last moments with him. What happens? Those guys show up to take him. Peter says, mm, that's my kind of guy. <laughs> Somebody's inside the wire. <laughs> not anymore, he's not. <laughs> None of his friends are going to come either. <laughs> but why, why would he do that? He misinterpreted his moment. His perspective was off. He wasn't going to give up the one he loved. Even though he had always told him, my time's going to come and I have to go. Even though he told him, when I go away, I'm going to send another for you. They weren't ready. And Peter said, ah, uh -uh, nope. And thought he actually had a responsibility to protect Jesus. Weird, huh? It, it's bizarre how we can begin to mess up our own perspective even while walking with Jesus. See, it's amazing to be part of a kingdom. It's another thing to know the king. 
if our perspective becomes everything around us, but never the king, then we will destroy a kingdom. The question would even be, were we part of it? What is our perspective? Who are we attempting to become? And do we realize who we really are? Changes everything. If we really begin to recognize that we are his daughters and his sons, what does that mean for you? How does that affect the way you view everything else? I'll tell you, it's changed my life. I don't have any problem with setting somebody down there and taking some oil on my finger and putting it on their tongue because I'm his son. I know that my dad's the biggest dad on the block and that even if I step outside of maybe my authority or my boundaries, my dad will back me up. I'll have to fix it. I'll have to say sorry, but nobody's punching me. You know? I mean, that's, that's the truth. I mean, I, I had a loving dad um, that took care of me. When I was a kid, I had a bully. Dad, I didn't have a bully anymore. <laughs> not only did I not have a bully, I could get away with murder. Like, I could walk up and punch that guy and be like, what? What are you going to do? He wasn't going to do anything because <laughs> he didn't want to have to deal with my dad. The law was laid. Everyone knew who my dad was, and I could get away with crazy, crazy stuff. If my perspective is that he's my father, what can I get away with? Well, the blind can see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised. Finances appear out of nowhere. My family becomes radically transformed because I'm his kid. So I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that happened when I started to recognize I was this kid. At the time, uh, it was probably around 1999, long time ago. Uh, at that point, I was in Vacaville at the mission. Crazy stuff's happening. Uh, Shannon was just trying to reel me in a little bit. Remember, you still have to go to work. Because <laughs> I, I was prophesying over anybody and everybody. I was... I was stopping in the middle of the street and jumping out, yelling at people across the street saying, the Lord says. <laughs> By the way, you might want to use some uh, wisdom on that. That doesn't. <clears throat> That's more like a Peter. <laughs> Had a couple times. That got a little hairy. <laughs> hey, man, I got something to tell you. Oh, you guys are good. I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> Had a couple guys want to fight over that one. <laughs> Sorry about that, bro. All good. I'm going to go home. <laughs> but in, in that time frame, when I began to really engage and say, he is my father, I'm his son, and I can do things that no one else can do, he started talking to me about my family. My brother was actually in Dallas at the time. My sister was in L.A., uh, and I had another sister in Romania as a missionary. God said, call, call your little sister in L.A., Tell her, uh, you know she's been doing things that aren't what I want her to do, and it's time to come home. And I'm like, wow, that's okay. We can do that. No problem. So I call her. 
say, hey, love you. How's things going? She's like, all right. And, you know, we didn't talk all the time. She was really, really busy then. Uh, and she was, she was there as a missionary. She was working at uh, the Dream Center in L.A. And so I said, hey, um, God says you're not doing what he sent you there to do. Um, you need to stop. Come home. Um, she had some unique words in reply to that <clears throat> and told me I, I didn't know anything. And, you know, mind my own business and move on. Well, the minute she said I didn't know anything, I knew everything. Uh, I could see where she had been, who she had talked to, the words she had said, and the phrases that she was using when she was in these places and colors and rooms and all kinds of stuff. So I told her all of that, and I said, now before you tell me, I don't know anything again. I don't want to know any more than what I just saw. It's time to come home. She got mad, hung up, said I'm not coming home. Had a similar conversation with my brother in Dallas. Pretty much the same thing. Uh, his words were a little more unique. <laughs> And well-placed. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> that one hurt. <laughs> and I was like, man, God, what just happened? Like, that was not. My perspective was I would say these words and they would instantly just, boom, come on. I had the wrong perspective. See, they were never supposed to have an encounter with their brother. They were always supposed to have an encounter with their brother's dad. See, I had met my dad, and they were still waiting to meet him. And I was supposed to be an introduction point for them to meet their dad. So it took a few months, but dad is always good about showing up. Uh, <clears throat> and radically destroyed their lives in the best way possible. <laughs> Uh, my poor brother in Dallas, he worked for um, Delta Airlines, was on a tarmac one day waiting for a plane to arrive. And as he's standing there, an open vision breaks out in front of him. He didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> I got a phone call. <laughs> um, uh, I, think, I think I had, I was like, yeah, dude, I know. No, 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 no. I, what I was going to say was, I think I had, yeah, dude, I, I'm on it. He's like, how do you know this stuff? I said the same way you do. He said, is that what's been happening to me at the bar? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. He was trying to drink himself out of the places of pain that he was in, all the while operating in the purpose God had given him. He couldn't get drunk. And every time he went somewhere, he would begin to prophesy over people and tell them where they should have been. Uh, literally looking at somebody sitting next to him and said, your father's a pastor. You were supposed to take the church and you've been running from it for five years. It's time for you to leave. The guy stood up and walked out and went back and took over the church. Not too bad for a guy trying to get drunk. <laughs> Not too bad for a guy outside the four walls <laughs> going, don't call me again. <laughs> You see, my perspective never would have allowed for my brother to be in that place doing that type of thing. It didn't make sense because he didn't have a, a recognition of who his father was. So there's no way a guy who doesn't know his dad can still do that, is there? How does that work? How in the world could that possibly be true that my brother could still be prophesying over people while he's trying to get drunk? <laughs> <laughs> 
And they're getting up and going back and taking over churches. That's not possible. Oh, it's possible. See, we got a good dad that is not afraid of anything. And when he walked amongst us, he spent time in those places far more than he did in these places. And usually when he was in this place or a place like this, he was a little bit upset, a little disappointed. And it was because their perspective was off. He wasn't disappointed they didn't recognize him. He was disappointed they didn't recognize his father. They had asked for the presence of God to come and save them. And his dad showed up and said, here, this is how I'm going to save you. And they rejected the message of his dad. So what's your perspective this morning? Who are you? Where are you going? What are you doing? And what's possible? I mean, come on. A family of 14 moving to Texas and within 60 days, that shouldn't be possible. <laughs> Seriously, that was unique. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't even be here today, really. I mean, if, if you had to take a perspective of who I've been in my life and where I've gone. Perspective. Does that mean, go, do you want me to run over here? <laughs> so... It's important for us to begin to recognize we have to see ourselves as he sees us. Because even the view we have of ourselves can be incorrect because of the perspective we've been told. I, I cannot become the dad of 12. That will not change anyone's life. It may make some people go, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it really is. And there are days it is crazy. <clears throat> but I, if we do not recognize who he created me to be, because see, like right now, if you guys hated this, everything I said and didn't agree with it, I'm okay. Because I'm still his kid. I walk out of here the same way I walked in. I'm happy, I'm excited, and I'm engaged with him. So if I mess up, maybe I owe somebody an apology. My bad. But if I didn't, and I brought you a message that it helps you to engage with our father, not just my father, because I get a little possessive. <laughs> but if I, if I introduce you to a place where you engage with your heavenly father, and let me say that that's a unique thing in learning how to do that and changing your perspective. Because not everybody had a good dad. So even trying to figure out how to engage with a father can be a challenge. I mean, my dad died when I was a senior in high school. And when God said he was my dad, I was just like, why? Like, my dad would have never let my dad die. Like, you could have stopped that. Like, I don't get it. Like, why am I stuck in a dead-end job? Like, what... That doesn't even make sense. My dad would never let that happen to me. So if you're a good dad, then how in the world does this, you know? So it took me a while to recognize my perspective was skewed. That I was looking at him to be what I thought my dad was. Never allowing him to be more than that. I made my dad a measuring stick. Jack Ferris was right here. He was the greatest thing I had ever experienced in my life. One to be... Jack Jr. 
But by doing that, I said, God, you have, to, you have to meet this measurement. And I limited his ability to work in my life because my perspective was if it didn't fit Jack Ferris, it couldn't be my dad. So learning that is a, is a fun, unique, painful cry fest of how to engage with a good, good father. What it means versus what I know what he's capable of versus what I will let him be. And like a good dad, even like mine, which I didn't realize, a good dad always starts with how to help you become who you're supposed to be. He's never worried first about your circumstances or your situations. He's always worried about your heart. So that's why nothing measured up. I don't want him to touch my heart. I want him to fix my job. I want him to fix my finances. I want him to fix this and fix that. He wasn't there to work for me. He was there to work in me. And so when I embraced that and allowed my heart to be transformed, then the other things started being added. Then I began to see, oh, it's not him supposed to give me a better job. He created me with a skill set to move to this place, to do this thing, to go here. And that's when I began to understand he wasn't just trying to coddle me and keep me in a bubble. I was always meant to get his heart and then be sent out so that I could show people what he looked like. All right. So this is what we'll do. For those of you guys that want to get a new perspective, now before you jump at this, let's say we're going to try and get a new perspective. I'm giving you a caveat so that if you have to run, run. (laughs) But if you really want a new perspective of who your father is and who you are, then I want you to stand up. Ooh. Okay, so this is where it gets tricky. Okay? We're talking about perspective. We don't want to do what we've always done. So I'm not going to say come up here and I'm going to lay hands on every one of you. That'd be fun. But we're looking to change perspective. So the first thing I want you guys to do is turn around and look at the back wall. (laughs) Just in that moment alone, your whole entire life can be turned upside down. The minute you don't look to somebody else to introduce you to a new perspective is the moment you can engage with your father. So what I want you to do is just close your eyes and then I want you to just ask him, what do I need to do now? Now, some of you, that means you got to move out of the row and move to another point in the building. Some of you guys may need to go forward, go back. Some of you may need to kneel down. Some of you might need to stand on a chair. Sorry, Chris, we might stand on a chair. But literally, I want you to find the place where you begin to engage with your father from a different perspective. And then all I want you to say is, God, I need a new perspective of my father. I want to be the daughter. I want to be the son that you created. So go ahead and find your place.
even if you stay there, that's good, but there's some of you I know you got to move. Don't make me pull a brother and sister. So in a room full of people, recognize that it's just you and him. Just begin to understand that it's only you and him, and he's got his arms wrapped around you. And we're going to do this probably for about two minutes. It's just going to be quiet or loud, depending on your perspective. This is the point where my voice should be very, very irritating. <laughs> so I'm just going to pray over you guys, and then uh, if there's anything else. So Father, I just ask that there would be a grace released on every person in here, that they would begin to see how you created them, who they are, where they're going, that their eyes would be open to see how good of a father you are, that you would define that for them, that the boundaries that have been in place that have limited their scope of how great you are as a father would be broken down, that they would move from this day to the day they go home in a fresh revelation of who you are, that they could go nowhere, that they could do nothing, without being overwhelmed by your goodness, by your presence, 
and by your love. And I just release that in Jesus' name. Amen.